Hey, sweet friends, welcome to the Art of Being Human podcast, the podcast where we dive into life's big questions. Questions like, how did I become the person that I am? And what is the impact of the stories that I tell myself? How can I be a beneficial presence to the people around me? And how do I live a spiritual life in a material world? And of course, so many more. As you know, I am obsessed with these big questions. And today we're going to tackle one that, honestly, I have been wrestling with for a long time. It's actually one of my favorite things to wrestle with. And that is the ability to practice radical acceptance. Not just your garden variety kind of acceptance, not your passive, nonchalant, well, it is what it is acceptance, which I would actually call tolerance, but the deeper and much more difficult acceptance that says, I wish to resist and reject this with all of my might, but instead I will embrace it as if I wished this to be. Because this is a situation that we will all run into at some point in our lives. We will come up against some part of ourselves that we reject, some behavior or desire, or we might label it a weakness or a wrongness that we will desperately wish wasn't part of our personality. And it can cause us shame and embarrassment. And when this happens, we shut down and we're alienated from our resourcefulness and our creativity. Or we can take the radical approach and lean into it. We can learn from it and grow from it and, yes, accept it. And in that way, find grace and compassion and love. That choice is always ours. And so these next couple of episodes will be us diving into radical acceptance. What does it look like to practice radical acceptance of ourselves, which is what we're going to be talking about today? And how can we practice radical acceptance of others? And how do we practice radical acceptance of beliefs and ideologies that we would normally be extremely tempted to disagree with? So let's jump into what we're going to talk about today, the radical acceptance of ourselves. And of course, let's look at where most of us begin. Most of us have something in common that we don't even realize we have in common, and that is this idea or this feeling that there is something fundamentally wrong with us, that at some base level we're flawed, and that if by some horrible chance someone saw the real us, that they would see this fundamental flaw. And of course, we imagine that it would be incredibly repulsive to them. So for many of us, we spend most of our time and we make most of our decisions based on this feeling, on this subconscious constant questioning that looks at our experiences, circumstances, and behaviors and uses them as evidence that either confirm our flawedness or soothe that feeling of being flawed. Or put another way, we're constantly asking the question, will this choice, situation, experience, behavior prove that I am enough? and that I am worthy of love. And we walk around in this trance of unworthiness, which translates into a mindset of unacceptance. And to make it even more uncomfortable and painful, we think we're the only ones experiencing this. We can be so oblivious to the fact that we all struggle with this feeling, and that we're all walking around asking this exact question. And it's so fascinating to finally understand that Not only is it very normal to be walking around in the world that way and asking that question, but that as a human being, 
this question and this feeling is also hard baked into how we actually become a human being. The very process of becoming human is wrapped up in feeling like you lack something or like there might be something missing. That feeling of lack, that feeling of something missing is actually proof that you're doing it right, not proof that you're doing something wrong. And maybe the fact that all human beings have this experience, this feeling, um, is something that should have clued us into it. So it's part of becoming a human being in two ways. One is maybe a more spiritual way of looking at how the universe or the divine creates this experience for us. And then the second is a really concrete lived experience that further solidifies this way of being. The first experience that causes us to begin to build this foundation of not enoughness, this foundation of feeling a lack, is the fact that before we're created, before you and I came into being, we were simply part of a whole. We were part of the universal whole. And as we organized into being, as we became a human, we were removed from that whole. So you, if you imagine the universe being a whole, right, to which you belonged to, then in order to create you, you had to move separate from that whole. Otherwise, you would not be yourself. So you, the you that you experience is the lack that the universe experiences. So it's no wonder that you have this drive inside of you that wants and longs for a reconnection with some whole, right? Because you are the lack that the universe experiences. The second way that this feeling of not being enough is created is in the process that we have to go through after birth that creates our identity. See, as we build our identity through our life experiences and as we make decisions on who we're going to be, We have to say yes to certain things. And as we say yes to certain things, we simultaneously say no to other things. Every time we say, yes, this is who I am, we automatically say then, no, this is who I'm not. In every affirmation, there's also a denial. And in that denial, there's this feeling of lack. Now, the truth is we have the potential to be and experience anything. So every time we say no to something by saying yes to something else, we feel this sense of lack, which is totally normal. And it's not a sign that something is wrong with us. So for me, this led to the question, what causes me to say yes to parts of myself and no to other parts of myself? And I find this answer absolutely fascinating. (laughs) And of course, it starts in our childhood. I mean, there's a reason the minute you hit a therapist's couch, they ask you, tell me about your childhood, right? (laughs) So human beings are the only species that produce offspring that don't really have any evolutionary advantage that helps them survive. Because if we look at almost every other animal, they have some sort of evolutionary advantage that either protects them after birth or will help them survive after birth. Like if you take 
a pony or a calf, let's say, right? It can walk and run minutes after it's born so that it can stay with its group, so that it can stay protected. Or if you look at a baby turtle, let's say, right? It breaks out of its little egg and it immediately scoots towards the water so that it can survive. But humans have no such ability. If a human baby would be left on its own, it would simply die. A human baby has no evolutionary advantage placed inside of it that will protect it or keep it safe. And they completely lack the ability to stay alive on their own. The only thing that will protect a human baby is its connection to its caregivers. As human babies, we are 100% reliant on the care of our caregivers to ensure our ability to survive and to ensure our ability to thrive. So this leads to something, like I said, I found so fascinating from the almost our very first moments of life, we begin to learn how to modify our behavior in such a way that we will continue to ensure that we receive the care and love we need from our caregivers. This behavior that they reward, we begin to prioritize and the behavior that they don't reward, we begin to reject. So anything that our caregivers rewarded or that they showed appreciation to, we begin to say, oh, this is a good way of being because this ensures that I survive and this ensures that I thrive. And any behavior that they either, you know, didn't reward or maybe perhaps punished or or just even ignored, we begin to say, oh, okay, this behavior is behavior that... It has no benefit to us. Like it's not going to help us survive. It's not going to help us thrive. And so we begin to reject it. And in doing so, we build what's called our primary personality. And the problem starts when we begin to think that the behavior that wasn't rewarded is bad or wrong. And that anytime we engage in that behavior, then we are bad or wrong. Let me share an example from my own life that hopefully will kind of incorporate what I'm trying to communicate here today. In my childhood, I I had a great childhood. I had lovely parents, but I was not rewarded for being angry. In fact, anytime I did feel anger and I expressed it, it was clearly unrewarded for a lack of a better way of saying it. And so I soon interpreted that to mean that when I was angry, I was bad. And that what I needed to do was to repress that anger and to pretend that it wasn't there. And as I grew up and I became an adult and had experiences where I did express my anger, I would be so hard on myself and so embarrassed and so ashamed of myself. And it was this complete rejection and resistance to the part of myself that felt anger. And of course, this led to all kinds of unhelpful thoughts. Anytime I was angry, I'm like, oh, I'm so undisciplined. I'm so emotional, you know, all these different things. I really need to get it together. And so I would moralize the experience. And as I moralized the experience, I made the verdict that I was bad for feeling this way. When the truth is, being angry is a normal and natural response to certain life situations. In fact, there's times when feeling anger can actually be a sign of health. But because of my rejection of that part of myself, I couldn't see that. I could not see that anger was normal. I could not see that anger at times could be beneficial. And anytime we reject parts of ourselves like that due to the reward system of our childhood, we actually lose some of our resourcefulness and creativity. 
Instead, we think, well, it has to be this way or this must be true, right? It must be true that anger is bad. It has to be that I cannot express it. So instead of allowing my anger to connect me to resourcefulness and to creativity, I went, this is bad. I must repress. And there's intense an intensity to this process that can be shocking, right? So we think, oh, we can be really level-headed when we do this. No, we come at this with a level of intensity, right? Like imagine a part of yourself that you reject. You don't just go, oh, I don't like that part of myself. We tend to say, I hate that part of myself. That part of myself is so bad. I wish that part of myself wasn't there. And we have this level of intensity because of where we link it to. We link it to our survivalness or to our survival. We link it to our worthiness of love. So it's not just some idea of how we should be in the world. To us, it feels like a life and death situation. Anytime we behave in a way that we feel like is wrong, that wasn't rewarded as a child, we feel like we're going to die. Now, obviously, we don't think this with our conscious mind, right? We can rationalize everything with our conscious mind. And if we said to it, this is linked to our survival and lovability, our conscious mind would quickly say, well, that's silly. I know better. But it is very true to our subconscious mind. And we know that we are not ruled by our conscious mind. It is simply there to analyze, rationalize, and justify, right? We are completely ruled by our subconscious mind. So regardless of what was rewarded or wasn't rewarded in our childhood, there are six common ways we tend to deal with this feeling of unworthiness or this lack that it creates in us. And I'd be so curious to see which one of these connected with you. And I have to be honest, they all connected with me. I do them all. So yeah, I'm not a stranger to any of them. So the first way that we deal with this feeling of unworthiness or this lack of acceptance of ourselves is that we dive into one self-improvement project after another, right? For many of us, we're constantly on this path to improve ourselves, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, but when the motivation behind your desire to improve is the fear of unworthiness and the non-acceptance of yourself, it can feel like you are on a never-ending treadmill that can lead to exhaustion and hopelessness. If we constantly think we have to take another course, read another book, become more fit, or you know, measure up to some ideal that we need to be, we will find ourselves in that cursed circumstance where it looks like we have it all together, but we are miserable on the inside. The second way that many of us deal with this lack of acceptance or this feeling of unworthiness is we hold back and we play it safe right? We stick with to what we know. We don't take risks. We don't go after what we want. We don't allow ourselves the gift of tapping into our creativity or our unique originality. So this starts to affect the work that we do, right? The jobs that we take, the relationships that we're in. And again, leads us to a life of, of real mediocrity when we want something totally different. The third way that many of us deal with this is we can also just withdraw from the present moment. So in order to feel the feelings that the, in order to not feel the feelings that the present moment is bringing up and to have to learn how to accept them, we either jump into the past or we jump into the future to escape whatever is right in front of us, right? So we jump into the past, we can rehash old stories and that keeps us trapped in the life that we don't want. Or we can jump into the future 
and where we can get trapped in this idea of unhappiness, this feeling like we should always be doing more. So either way, anytime we're not in the present, right, we trap ourselves in this unhappiness, whether it's because we're rehashing or because we somehow we have some idealized self that we're not meeting up to. The fourth way that we can deal with this non-acceptance, this feeling of unworthiness is getting really busy. And I find this is one of the most common ones and it's the most socially accepted one. This idea that we have another event to go to, we put our kids in another activity, we get involved with another community organization. And by doing that, there's never any time to process or to look at the emotions that come up for us. We're just too busy. And the great thing is, is we can always add more to our plate and we can always hide from ourselves, right? We can always just have distractions and and expectations of what we all have to do so that there's never any time for reflection. There's never any time to go, oh man, there's things that are, are lacking and there's things that I don't accept and I have to learn how to open my heart and accept those things and I have to learn how to open my heart and live in the lack. Now we're way too busy for that. So the fifth way and another one that's super common is that we just become our own worst critic, right? For some of us, we feel like the best way to f- deal with this feeling of unworthiness and this lack of self-acceptance is to show how we see it all. We see all our own unworthiness. We see all our own lack and we point it out. And when we point it out, we feel like we have some semblance of control because look, at least we see it. And then we can soothe ourselves with this hope that we will somehow change things. The sixth way that many of us deal with it and and this happens once we get tired of becoming our own worst critic, is we start to focus on the faults of other people. After we're just tired of pointing the fingers at ourselves, we will eventually turn and point the finger at someone else. And this can relieve some of the pressure that we feel that we should have it all together, and it can lessen some of the weight we feel if we feel the sense of, of failure or the sense of unacceptance. But the truth is, of course, that this is not a long-term solution. And in the end it will only make us feel worse. But when we move into radical self-acceptance, this is such good news. We don't have to add anything or do anything or hustle for anything. Radical acceptance is about letting go. Radical acceptance is this mindset that says, I am okay even like this. I am safe even like this. I am worthy of love even like this. Because radical acceptance is made up of two parts. The first part is mindfulness. And mindfulness is just seeing what's really there. So often we look at people or situations and we're looking at the surface. Oh, she was mean to me. She must be a bad person. Oh, she didn't call back because she doesn't respect my time, et cetera, et cetera, right? Instead of looking deeper, and acknowledging that each person and each situation we find ourselves in is full of people who are doing exactly what you're doing. Asking, am I safe? And am I worthy of love? Am I engaging in behavior that will ensure my survival and and thriving? Or am I not? We just have different behaviors attached to those questions. So we show up differently. When I began to see what was really behind my anger, I saw that what was behind it was this feeling of not being safe, this feeling of not being loved. There was hurt. 
And then there was this hurt of not being seen and heard. And that rejection went into more fear, right? And I could actually see what was really happening behind my anger. I wasn't actually angry about another person's behavior. I was simply reacting to my fear. The second part of radical acceptance is finding compassion for what you see. When we see the truth behind our reactions and our feelings, what is our response? When we're not in radical acceptance, we might reject it or make it wrong, right? Like, oh, I just shouldn't have been angry. I shouldn't have. Or if I see what's behind it, I shouldn't have been afraid. There's no reason to be afraid, right? But when we practice radical acceptance, we say, yes, of course I would feel like that. And of course that's okay. I can feel compassion for myself in this moment because I'm dealing with something difficult. This fear is a life and death fear for me and I acknowledge that and I see that and I have compassion for that. What a totally new way to look at ourselves, to actually see what is happening and to feel compassion for it. And when we walk in the world this way, the journey is so much easier. There's no pressure to perform. There's no pressure to be a certain way, to measure up. There is just the joy of experiencing life as it comes our way. And I think that we forget that so often. With all these measurements and these standards and these things that we think we're supposed to meet up to, right? Get a good education, get a marriage, get a job, get a house, you know, do all these things in your life. We forget that those are all man-made and that the only thing that life requires of us is to be in the moment and to accept and process the moment. That's it. That's all that a human being is required to do, to move from moment to moment, experiencing and accepting, experiencing and accepting. That's it. And life is actually so simple. Everything that's on top of that is simply the expectations that man, that culture has put in our path that we do not have to feel this need to measure up to at all. So my sweet friends, I hope that that was a good introduction to radical acceptance for you. I hope that as you look at your life, you're able to see what actually is and that as you see the things that actually are, that you experience a heart full of compassion for what you see. I hope you have a wonderful day. We will talk again soon.